We just thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and see what you'd have us to see from this section of scripture and lead and guide us and show us what you would have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to see a very poignant picture in David's life. Uh, the thing that I think about this chapter is always the right thing done the wrong way is wrong. All right, and that's what we're going to look at when David does something that is very good, but he does it the wrong way and ends up costing somebody their life because of it. And so verse 1, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, the that dwells between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah and Uzzah and Ohio. The sons of Adinabad drove the new cart. And they brought, out, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is at Gibeah. Accompanying the ark was Ohio and went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord with all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on herbs, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and cornets, and cymbals. And they came to Nachion's threshing floor. Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and the God smote him there for his for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased with the Lord because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he named the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto, unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside unto the house of Obedidom of the Girdite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obinadab the Girdite three months, and the Lord blessed Obinadab and his household. All right, here's a story of something that was a very good idea, but not done correctly, and we're going to look at both both of these things. So we just had David in the previous chapter. He was anointed king. He's been made king, and the Philistines decided that would be a great time to attack him. They attacked him twice, and he beat them soundly both times. And we saw the different ways that God told him to do that. So now David is saying, I've got this idea. And he says he gathers together all the chosen or the elite, the best of Israel. And it says 30,000 people. Uh, now, whether this is his warriors, the elders, the leaders, it doesn't really make clear. But this is a large gathering of people that he's getting to escort the ark back to Jerusalem or to Jerusalem for the first time. Uh, and it says, David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah, with him from Baal of Judah, and to bring up from thence the ark of the God, the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts and dwells between the cherubim. So he's describing the ark. Remember the ark of, ark of the, that it was a box made out of gopher wood, uh, excuse me, not gopher wood. Uh, anyway, made out of particular wood covered with gold. 
And on top of that box was a covering made out of a wooden gold. And then on top of that were two gold, solid gold cherubim with their wings stretched out over the ark. And the ark was the box. Inside the box, if you remember, was a pot of manna, the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded that was in, put inside the ark as memorial. On top of that was put the lid. The lid was called the mercy seat, and it is where God said that he sat in judgment. And the only one that ever saw the ark would have been the high priest once a year, once it gets to the temple. Uh, and right now, it is, it is out in the open. And if you, does anybody remember the story of what put it out in the open? It went into battle. In, in, in 1 Kings chapter 6, the Philistines attacked them. And Eli and his sons decided it would be a great idea that they went out with the Ark of the Covenant that they could not be beat because God would be with them. They were soundly thrashed. Eli's sons were killed. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. And when Eli heard the news that the Ark had been taken, he fell over backwards, broke his neck, and he died. Uh, and remember the story that everywhere they sent the Ark, bad things happened to the city. People got sick. People died. The first city put the ark in the, in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon was found the next morning face down. They put Dagon back up, nailed him back into place, and the next morning he was face down with all the parts broken off of him. Uh, so they decided, that, well, the ark's not a good place here, so they started moving it to all the major cities uh, of the Philistines. They got to the end of that time, and they go, okay, we are being cursed by God. We need to send this back to Israel. And we're going, this is all a rehash of chapter 6 of 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6. So they put the ark of God on a cart with two cows, milk cows, and drove the cows off. And they said, let's see where it goes. And it makes a very big point of saying that the calves were crying for their mothers as the cows walked away from their calves, which is not what cow milk cows will do. They will go back to their calves, especially if they're mooing like that. They will walk back to them. And the Ark of the Covenant ended up at uh, Kirjan Jerin, uh, which is where we're going to have our story here. So the people in, well, excuse me, it ends up in Kirjan. So the first group of people that get this, get the Ark of the Covenant, they get judged because they do something extremely foolish. They not only touch the Ark, they open the ark. Now we don't know if they were opening it to see if the Philistines had taken it or if they were just curious or whatever, but they opened the ark and 50,000 men of that town die. And they say, well, we don't want it here. <laughs> they send it to Kirjarim and they are blessed for the whole time that they have it. And it blesses the people there because they don't open it, they don't touch it. They're seeing something they're not supposed to see, but they at least give it the honor of not touching it and probably put it into a, into a place. So here David is going back, and he decides it's going to be a really good idea to set up the tabernacle. And in, in Chronicles, it tells us that he set up the tabernacle, and he was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem to be with the tabernacle, uh, where it was supposed to be. This whole time, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, but it has not been. 
Why they left it in the wrong place, it doesn't ever tell us. <laughs> uh, but apparently people just didn't want to believe and obey God. So David has this great idea. We're going to go get the ark. We're going to bring it back to where it belongs. We're going to put it in the Holy of Holies and in the tabernacle. So he and 30,000 men go out. And in verse 3, they set the ark of God upon a new ark, a new cart. What they did was copied the Philistines. The Philistines put it on a cart. They put it on a cart. We're going to go back and look here on how the ark of the covenant is supposed to be moved. In Numbers chapter 4. Starting at verse 14. Um, 14. And they put it upon the vessels thereof, wherein they ministered about, even the censers, the flesh hooks, the shovels, and the bassans, and the vessels of the altar. And they shall spread it upon the covering of badger skins and put staves in it. And when Aaron and his sons had made an end to the covering of the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as, is, as the camp is set forward, that after that the sons of Kohath shall come in to bear it, and they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. So the tribe of Levi had the responsibility of carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the, and many of the other things, and they had to carry them. When the, when the uh, Levites were assigned carts and oxen, this tribe did not get any ark, any ox or any cart because they were to carry the, the things that had the staves in it, and they were to carry those holy things. Uh, the people that carried all the badger skins and the walls and the, and the things all around it, they all got carts. They didn't have to carry all the wooden stuff around, but the tribe of Koath had the responsibility of carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the incense, the incense altar, the showbread altar, and they literally had to carry these things. They were never to be put on a cart. They were never to be put in danger. And yet, here we are seeing David do the wrong thing. In, uh, huh? Didn't ask God in this case, didn't obey God. And this may be something that David didn't realize, okay? Because we remember here, during this period of time, they did not have copies of the Bible floating around. Uh, they wrote the master copy of the Bible, and they had one copy of the Bible. When it was rewritten, they destroyed the previous one, all right? After it had all been mathematically checked and, and verified that it was correct. The king, however, according to this... Pentateuch was to write down a copy of the Pentateuch in his own handwriting and keep it and read it daily. Obviously, David hadn't done that. Saul obviously hadn't done that. And we don't see any king anywhere in the Bible that it says they did what they were supposed to do, which was go out and write a copy of the law in their own handwriting and read it every day. Uh, and the Jewish priests pretty much kept it very tight, very much like the Catholic Church did for thousands of years. Nobody was to read the Bible. We were not able to understand it, so nobody was to read the Bible, so they wrote it in Latin, which nobody under, in the Middle Ages, nobody understood, and even going into the 16th, 17th century, 18th century, people did not know how to read Latin for the most part, so it became a very specialized book. It was too special, uh, and only the 
Only the, and not even the priests were really supposed to read it. It was to be read by the Pope, and he would tell people what it meant. And that's how the Catholic Church ran it, and that's very much the way the, the priest did it. All right, Levites, you are the ones, you're the special ones. You can understand what God says, you teach the people. And people did not have copies of the Word of God in their, in their possession. So when you were meditating on God's Word, it was whatever you heard at synagogue. Now, synagogues did read the Word. They had a reading from the, from the Pentateuch and usually a reading from the prophets. So you at least heard the Bible, which is better than most of the Catholic churches that gave you a homily about what the, about what the Bible said. And unfortunately, we have many Christian churches that are that way now today. They will read a homily. They might read a script, one scripture out of it and then tell you what it all means. And even that is not really what, what it means. So David is not understood or ignoring, and I'm going to choose that he didn't understand, <laughs> rather than ignoring, how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. He obviously never went to the priest to say, okay, how do we, how do we carry this Ark of the Covenant back? Uh, you know, so again, as you said, he didn't, this is a time he didn't inquire of God. He says, I've got a really great idea. We're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to, it, back to the, holy play, the Holy of Holies, and we're going to put it in it. And again, this is why I say this is a great example that we see in the Bible of doing the right thing the wrong way, and it cost, in this one case, it costs lives. And there are many times in our lifetime where we will choose to do the right thing the wrong way, and there's always consequences for doing it the wrong way. And we need to be very careful about this because God is serious. He does not say the ends justify the means. That's the world's view. As long as I get where I want to go, it doesn't matter how I get there. All right? And we see that as far as salvation goes. We see that as far as these activities go. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as I get where I want to go, I can lie, cheat, steal to get there. But as long as I get what I want and, I, and it looks good when I get there, it doesn't matter how I get there. David's not lying, cheating, and stealing to get there, but he is doing it the wrong way. And in this particular case, it causes somebody their life. And it really bothers David. And so we want to be very careful as we go through our life doing things God's way. We talk about the Bible's definition of truth. The Bible's definition of truth is we speak what we know. All right? You, our... our Courts are built on the system that God has. You speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, is God's belief, you know, is God's teaching. When you speak the truth, you're to say, I know, well, you know, if I say this part, I'm going to get in trouble or somebody, but you know, so as long as they don't ask me about it, I'm not going to speak it, and therefore I'm not lying. God's definition of truth is that you've lied. All right? And you can't use this idea of the ends justify the means. Our lawyers violate the, the, the pledge we take in court all the time, and you're actually told to. Well, you only answer what they ask. And I was actually told one time on a traffic ticket, my lawyer told me, do not go, because when you open your mouth, you're going to speak the truth, and you're going to get ticketed. Because I had run a red light. I didn't know I'd run the red light. I knew where the police officer was, and I wasn't in a condition to be driving because I was an emotional wreck. I just learned that my son's... My, of my son's autism and probably shouldn't have been driving and a light was that was normally flashing was red at the time that I went through it uh, so he said don't show up 
I don't have a clue what he told the, told, told the judge. But he did not want me speaking because he knew that I would tell the truth. Because I told him I'd tell the truth. And, but, you know, this is very important. Are we living the way God asks us to live? Or are we trying to justify it by the, what the world says? You know, how, you know, a lot of people, and I hear this so often, is how close can I get before I, before I cross this sin? You know, whatever that sin might be. You know, a lot of times it has to do with sex. How close to, you know, what can I be doing before I've crossed the line of sex? You know, how, how, how many drinks do I have to take before I've crossed the line of being drunk? Well, it depends on what, you know, what you're looking at. Usually one. <laughs> but, you know, but people all the time will ask, how close can I walk to this sin before, I, before I've crossed the line? If you're really wanting to live God's way, it's, the, the real question is, how far can I stay away from the sin so I don't even get tempted to do it. And this is the way we want to be. The Jews had this problem that they had. They go, they built what they called fences around God's law, which were much wider than his law. And as long as, and then the thought process is, well, if you, if you violate the fence, you're not going to violate God's law. But then they get stuck in the rules themselves and trying to obey these advanced rules. Uh, when Eve told the serpent, we can eat of any tree in the garden, but the tree of, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree we can't even touch. Okay? Most people say she added to the word of God. I really believe Adam added to the word of God to keep her away from the tree because that's the Jewish mentality. I'm sure that Adam told, him, told her, we can't eat of this tree. As a matter of fact, we're not even allowed to touch it. Knowing that if, if she could keep her from touching it, there was no way that she would eat it. You know, and I can't prove that. I do believe, though, that it was Adam who told her not to touch the tree and not just her, because there's nothing in that statement that made it sound like she was making something up. So I personally believe Adam told her not to touch the tree. And his idea was, well, if you're never touching the tree, there's no way you're going to eat, eat of the tree. And we do that sometimes, and that can get us into trouble, because when she touched the apple and didn't die, it gave Satan an avenue saying, see, it's not true. You didn't die when you touched the tree. And then she takes, takes the apple and eats it because, well, the first part wasn't, was a lie. And so when we live in religious rules and actions and have expanded rules and actions, we actually set people up because when they actually haven't fallen, they haven't sinned, and they don't get judged for it, they go, well, maybe all the rest of what they're telling us is a lie. We need to be very careful with this stuff. God says rules, and it's not bad. If you want to take your side saying, okay, God says don't be drunk, so I'm not going to touch alcohol at all, that's great, but don't try to use that as your rule on somebody else. And we see this all the time. People will take the verse, the body is a temple of God, and they will use that for just about everything in the, in, under the sun not to touch. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't, don't use drugs. And it is a good application to that, but it is not what that verse is talking about. All right? It's a good application to say, well, because my body is precious and God lives there, I'm not going to pollute it. I'm not going to overeat or drink or all these other things. And there's lots of ways that gets used. But don't try to put that verse on somebody else and say, well, because this verse means this to me, you've got to do it. Is it a good idea to smoke? Probably not. It's, it'll shorten your life. It'll you know, kill you. Is it a sin? That depends on what God's told you. I can't smoke. It would be a sin for me because God's told me not to. Uh, drinking. The only thing the Bible tells us about drinking is do not be drunk. Matter of fact, there are certain verses that say moderation in alcohol is okay. 
God has told me I can't drink, so I can't go out and, and drink. Uh, if somebody has a problem with alcohol, they probably should not drink. It's probably not a wise idea for some people to even take one drink. Is it a sin for them? Again, what has God said to them? What has God said? In this case, David is going about it wrong. He takes the ark, and it doesn't say that they used the staves even to put it on the ark. I would imagine they did. Otherwise, they would have had a lot more people dead before that. Uh, so the staves are still there. The, the, crossbar, the wooden bars to hold it, the staves are still there. They use the staves, put it in the ark, uh, in, the, in a cart. A new cart, it says. So he's being, he's being really good for God. God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you a new cart to carry, your, carry this ark. And, and he goes to the house and he takes out the ark. And it says that Abinadab's sons, Uzzah and Ohio, are going to drive the cart. You know, pretty brave guys. <laughs> you know, it just also goes to show you that they don't know what they're doing either. They're not really paying attention. They're not following God's way of doing things. There are people who believe that they're Levites, and uh, that may be what my other reference is. One moment. Second Chronicles 7. Yes, I did that research. They are in Second Chronicles chapter 7. It'll tell you that they are Levites. Uh, if you remember second, uh, uh, in the Chronicles, it'll tell you that they are Levites. And they're, they know better. They should know how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Or the Ark of the Covenant. And yet, they violate it. Uh, and this is... Again, we're getting further and further away. The Ark of the Covenant has been lost since the days of Eli. So we have all of Saul's reign for 40 years that it's been lost. We have all of David's early part of his reign for seven and a half years. So we got almost half a, half a century where the Ark of the Covenant has not been where it belongs. And people have not been fully in God's word during Saul's reign. They're not following God because God has rejected him. So he's not pushing for it to be followed. And it appears that David initially wasn't pushing for the people to follow God. And we know he follows God because we've got all of his psalms and, and everything, but he's not pushing for the people to follow God. And all through the list of the kings, we have several kings that, we have several kings who are just bad kings. They are actively pushing against God and, and idol worship and everything reigns everywhere. And then we have a handful of kings that go and get rid of the idol worship and, ref, ref, and about two or three of them actually refurnish the temple. Uh, one of them takes several months to clean all the junk that's been collected in the, in the temple. And I, don't, and I don't think they literally mean trash junk. I think they just mean all the trash. It became a storage room. And all the, all the stuff you didn't want in the palace was put into the temple. Everything you didn't want in your house went into the temple. And I don't think they were literally talking about refuse. They might have been, but I don't think so. Uh, but it still took them months to get all the junk out of the temple on this one, one king before they could actually start practicing their, their worship in the temple. So when we look at the Jewish people, there are long periods of time where people aren't going to the temple. They're not offering sacrifices. They're not bringing their tithes and offerings in, which means if they're not bringing their tithes and offerings in, the Levites and, and the priests are not able to be supported, so they end up leaving leaving the temple and they go out to their the Levitical towns and they start farming and, and, and doing and taking care of their sheep because they need to take care of themselves so they leave the temple 
and nothing's happening in the temple, or very little is happening in the temple because there's very few workers within the temple. And this is very important. This is why tithes and offerings were established, were so that the Levites and the priests would be taken care of. And remember in the Pentateuch, we talked about how the people would bring their tithes and offerings. Those tithes and offerings would be divided amongst all the Levites. The Levites would give the tithe, tithe of their money, which would go to the priest. And I assume that the priest would then tithe to go to the, go to the high priest, but he's also a priest, so that may or may not have been true. But this money flowed to each level and supported the work of the temple. And that was how they were supported. You know, the people gave their tithes and offerings, and the Levites would then have money to serve God. If they weren't being paid by tithes and offerings, then obviously they would go and their, their towns of refuge and the towns that the Levites were given. Because remember, the Levites did not get a territory. They were given towns all through Israel. So if they weren't being, if they weren't being supported by the people, they would go out and go back to their towns and have... And, Farm, you know, have their little farms and have their, have their goats and sheep, and they would take care of themselves. Okay, if the people aren't going to take care of me, they, they would go out and take care of themselves. And some of that was lack of faith in God, lack of trust in God, but by the same token, I understand it. If the people aren't giving, you're going to do something to survive because are you going to starve to death in the temple just to serve God? Um, so this was happening, and it appears that this is what's happening. Nobody's going to the tabernacle because the Ark of the Covenant's not there, so are you even celebrating Yom Kippur because there's no Ark of the Covenant to put the blood on? So you're probably not doing the Day of Atonement. Would you be doing the Passover? Probably Passover became more than just a religious ceremony with it. It became a festival and, and always has even to this day. Even though they don't have a temple, the Jewish people still practice Passover other than the fact of sacrificing their lamb. They just kill it and cook it. Uh, they don't. They don't take the blood and put it on the altar and all of that stuff like they're supposed to. It's become a holiday, much like we do Christmas. Christmas is supposed to be the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Most people don't celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. Even Christians, for the most part, don't celebrate the birth of Jesus on Christmas. And I'm not going to get into the whole argument of whether Christmas is the right day or not. We still, if we're going to celebrate His birth, let's celebrate His birth and not all the other things that we celebrate. And that's kind of what has happened with uh, Passover with the Jews. It's become just a celebration. There's all the things we do. We clean our house you know, before to get rid of all the leaven. We, we have all these rituals, and there's a whole bunch of rituals that are added to it beyond what the scriptures say. And if you ever have sat, sat in a Seder, with somebody who's a Christian explaining each of it, amazing how accurate all their little extra things are to be in biblical. Uh, they have a little pouch that has three, three, uh, three uh, matzah crackers in it, and they take the middle one out and hide it, and they go celebrate trying to find the middle one, which is a picture of the Trinity with the sun being hidden and then being resurrected and, and because he's our Passover lamb, and they celebrate when, it, when he's found and brought back in. Uh, plus all the other things in it. It's a beautiful, one of these days I may get a you know, person to do a cel Seder celebration for us in the, in the church and go through the Christian meanings of all the, all the signs. It really is a very interesting, and I don't remember all of it because I get lost in that. I know there's several cups and, and everything they use for the, for the wine and all the different foods they use. Uh, I know what the Bible says about it, but there are so many added things to it that are 
very accurate when you when you hear the word of God being applied to them. Either God gave it to them as things that weren't recorded in the word, or very godly people added things to it, and I don't know which it is. But we see David here saying, I'm going to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem my way. And he thinks, he thinks he's doing it good. He thinks he's doing good things. All right, I don't see anything in here that David's saying, well, I know God wants me to carry this on the shoulders of the, of the, of the Levites, but I'm going, I'm going to forget that and I'm just going to carry it. I think he honestly is doing this the way he thought that it should be done. After all, he, he's more recent, the most recent story he knows of carrying the ark was the Philistines putting it on a cart and sending it back. He's forgetting the story of, of uh, Eli's sons carrying the ark into battle. All right? So we see this problem here. And it says in verse 4, And they brought it out of the house of Vinadab to Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir, fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels and cornets and cymbals. So you see here 30,000 people, at least, having a party. They're rejoicing. God's ark, the presence of God, because the ark represented the presence of God. That's why it said the previous that he sat between the cherubs. So when they saw the ark, it was literally that God sat on that ark, the mercy seat. They're celebrating. God is coming back to the, to the tabernacle. God is coming into Jerusalem. They are having a grand celebration. Not a drunken celebration. They've got their instruments. They're singing songs. They're singing praise to God. They're dancing around, enjoying themselves. God is coming back to Jerusalem. Coming back away from these few places where he's back, coming back to the tabernacle and rejoicing. I love this picture because I think how many churches do not truly worship God? We sing songs. We might even enjoy singing the songs, but do we really think about the songs we're singing? Do we really come into the presence of God when we're singing? You know, and sometimes we say it to the round that you know the, sing, the songs bring us into the presence, but really it should be us coming in and saying, God, I want to worship you. And this is why so often I point out, have you thought about, did you hear the words of this song? Did you think about the words of this song? Or were you just enjoying the music and, and singing the song and maybe even having an emotional experience? These guys are having a grand emotional experience. They're jumping around and dancing and playing music and singing songs and probably, you know, praising God. And they're having a great emotional time. You know, and I can just picture this party. You know, they're, they're going down the highway. The wagon's got it and everybody's playing music. It's a loud party. And you can actually picture, he took 30,000, but you can picture the crowd is growing. You know, hey, there's a lot of excitement going on here. What, what, what's happening? Oh, the Ark of the Covenant is going back, going back to the tabernacle. Oh, wow, let's, let's join in. You know, parties and parades end up gathering speed, and, and, you know, or used to gather speed and get bigger and bigger. Uh, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem with the triumphant entry, thousands of people gathered together and, and said, Hosanna, uh, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were having a great time emotionally. And it didn't last long. 
it didn't last long because emotions only hold you for so long. And this is very important for us to understand in our worship. And worship is great. It brings us into God's presence. It helps us come before God and focus on God. But if all it is is an emotional experience, it's a waste of time. I've been in some churches and they'll say, we had a great time of worship. We sang for the entire service. An hour and a half, two hours of singing and praising God. And we had such a wonderful time. But what did the preacher, oh, he didn't preach. We were just having such a wonderful time worshiping. Well, the next day, emotions aren't going to carry you very far when you're facing temptation. All right? And I love singing. Believe me, I love to sing. I love to worship God. But the word of God has to be lifted up because David was a great worshiper of God. He's, he's created all kinds of psalms, but he does not seem to know you don't put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. You go get the children of Korath to go carry the Ark because they're the ones that it's carrying it. And by the way, you get Aaron's sons to go cover it in the first place. Okay? So he is not doing things the right way. He's having a great time. They're having fun. We're worshiping God. We're enjoying God. We're, we're seeking God. We're, we're bringing him out, but being done wrong. We want to be very careful about that. And uh, so they come up to Nacon's threshing floor, and the cart shakes, and Uzzah puts forth his hand on the ark and took hold of it, for the cart shook, and he was really afraid that the ark was going to fall. The ark was where it didn't belong. It was shaken, and he very naturally grabbed hold of it to try to keep it from falling. And I would picture that he didn't, you know, if he's trying to keep it from falling, he didn't just put one, one hand lightly on it. He probably turned around and actually grabbed it to say it's not going to fall. And God struck him dead. Again, Uzzah has the right, the right aid. Can't let the ark fall off the cart. And he reaches out and God strikes him dead. We need to be very careful because we don't know, usually we don't have quite that severe a consequence when we do things the wrong way. But we face, always face consequences when we do things the wrong way. And, we all, and I keep stressing this because it's so important. There are always consequences for anything that's not done God's way. Even if we're doing it for the right motives, if it's not done God's way, there's consequences and we won't get the blessing. And it's very important. Isaac grabs it, grabs it. He's trying to keep it from falling out of the cart, uh, off the cart where it's not supposed to be. And he's a Levite. He should know that it's not supposed to be there. And he should know not to touch it. So I think that's why he gets a greater judgment. He knows better. And our judgment is to the point of what do we know? He's a Levite. He knows not to touch the ark. He knows that it's supposed to be carried. He reaches around to do something to protect it, even when everything's being done wrong. And I don't know why he didn't tell David, no, David, we can't put it on an ark. It's got to be carried by the sons of Koath. That's what the scriptures say. David would have honored it. David would have recognized, okay, this man knows. Okay, he's quoted me scripture. Let's get some sons of Koath out here. Let's get it covered like we're supposed to and get it carried. But this Levite never did tell David, no, this is the wrong way of doing it. He pays for his life because he didn't, he didn't speak up. Very important. We need to speak up. When we know something's wrong, we need to speak up. This is why it's important for us to call sin a sin. 
Now, we call abortion murder because it murders a, a, a living soul, a baby. We call euthanasia murder because it's not a worthless old person. It's an old person who has dignity and value in Christ. And to kill them is murder. Even if they want to have it done, it's murder. You know, and so we have these things. You know, we have murder. We have, if the government steals property from people for no reason, no good reason, it is stealing nonetheless. And we have a lot of that that happens in America. It's one thing to build a highway, a needed highway or something, or, or, some, or, or something important, but to take the land to build hotels so that they get income is wrong. And they do it all the time. That is stealing. All right? And God says it is, and that's what it is. We see people that will do all kinds of things, and they is sin. And we try to justify it by the world's thought process. And you know, we look at abortion and say, well, you know, I just can't have that child because I'm not ready to have a child, so I killed it. Well, at least let that child be adopted. It's a child. It's not a blob of tissue in the people. And they go, well, what about the woman's right to choose? And I tell people all the time, I'm fully, I'm, I fully agree. They had the right to choose. They can choose to have sex or not have sex. Once they've done that, the consequence follows. And I hate calling kid, a kid a consequence, but the consequence follows. All right? At that point, you made your choice. You now live with the consequences. And we need to keep in mind, these are the, the things that happen. You choose to go out and drink alcohol and drink to excess and get drunk, there are consequences that you are going to face. The simplest of which is you have a hangover the next day. And more complicated can be, can be very complicated. You've spent all your money you know, at the bar, you've been taken advantage of, uh, you end up waking up with somebody that you shouldn't be going to bed with, you end up crashing your car, you might end up killing somebody. There's all kinds of consequences but even the lightweight consequence of having a hangover is a pretty big deal. All right? And that's the first and simplest. And if you've gone to the bar, you've wasted a ton of money. And then you wonder why you have no money to pay your bills. Uh, so there's all kinds of rolling consequences in this. And here we see a consequence. Uzzah reaches around to rescue the Ark of the Covenant from falling off the cart. He gets severely judged. If he had not been a Levite, did not know the way, proper way, I do not believe that God necessarily would have killed him because he, he didn't know better. But when you know better and sin, you're going to take heavier consequences. He may have had, there would have been some consequence for him touching the ark. But if he didn't know better, it wouldn't have, I don't believe it would have been his life. He might have gotten sick. He would have had some judgment. But he knew better. And God said, you know better? You're dead. And in the heat of the moment, he wasn't thinking about not touching the ark. And that's the problem when you do something the wrong way, even if it's a right thing and doing it the wrong way, you can very quickly step beyond even that into full-fledged sin. And this is what Uzzah does. He goes, oh no, the ark's falling, and grabs hold of it. And he knew better. He knew that it shouldn't have been carried on that, and he knew not to touch it. He may have forgotten it at that moment, I'm not saying at that moment that he remembered you weren't supposed to touch the ark, but he knew better. He knew that it wasn't the way they were supposed to carry it. And David, all of a sudden, is in a panic. God, I've been trying to bring the ark into, into Jerusalem, and now you've killed somebody? You've killed somebody because they touched the ark? God, isn't that extreme? 
How many times have we thought about that? And, and I tell you, I've been there. I've watched God judge people, and, I, and my mindset goes, God, isn't that extreme? You took this person's health away. You took the lives of their kids. You took their marriage away. You, you took their job away. Isn't that extreme? God obviously knows that that's what they need and that they had been warned several times and knew, knew what was going on and they chose to continue that sin. And God says, okay, if that's your attitude, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to judge you harshly. As a new better, even though, he, like I said, I don't think he thought about it at that moment that he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. But because he had, had a series of bad decisions, he ended up making the ultimate bad decision and touching the ark. We can do this so many times. We make, we're doing things for the right way. We make a series of decisions that are wrong, and then all of a sudden we cross over into just a series of bad decisions into full-fledged sinful activity because of the long chain of, of decisions. And we can all think about times when we found ourselves in a bad place. You know, well, I just don't know how I found myself in that sin. All right. Well, how about the day before when you made that decision, and the day before when you made that decision, and the day before when you made that decision, and three weeks before that when you stopped reading your Bible every morning and praying to God, which then led to a whole bunch of decisions that weren't godly decisions because you weren't following him. You know, the most important thing we can do, and I've been thinking a lot about this topic, why do so many people have a hard time walking with God? Because they're not spending any time with God. They're not reading their Bible. They're not praying. And then you start out okay. If you're really strong, you start out okay. You're not reading your Bible. You're okay. Mostly, mostly God's in you. You're thinking with God mostly. But the longer you stay away from God, the more the flesh pops up, the more bad decisions start popping up. And slowly you start making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And you're not really being convicted because you're not in God's word. You're not, you're not worshiping him. And you start making bad decisions. You're not in his word. You're not worshiping. Then you start skipping out on Bible studies because the Bible studies are making you feel bad because you're hearing about what a sinner, what a sinner and what bad decisions you are making. And you feel everybody's judging you because you're making bad decisions. And you start making worse decisions. And then you stop coming to church altogether. And next thing you know, you're like, how did I get where I'm at? And you'll hear these people, well, I just don't know how I got there. All of a sudden, one day, I found myself in this sin. Okay, let's really look at your life because God's going to look at your life. He's not going to accept that, that. Well, you know, God, I was just walking along and one day I just found myself in this sin. You know, you and I, we, we, we were really good. We met every morning. We prayed. We talked. We, and all of a sudden I found myself in this, in this terrible, awful sin. And God's going to, uh-uh, you left me a long time ago. You stopped thinking about me and started walking in the wrong ways a long time ago. David is, David is coming to that point, and he's going to see this person judged who knew better. And David all of a sudden gets terrified. What, you know, his attitude now is, what are we bringing into, the, into my city? I can't bring this into my city. If people are going to die because I bring the Ark of the Covenant in my city, not happening. Panic because he did not do things the right way. He did not, as you said, begin. He did not inquire of God. God probably would suggest it's a great idea. Bring the, bring the Ark of the Covenant. Go get, go get the Kohathites, get the, get the priest, cover it, bring it into the Holy of Holies, let the priest uncover it, and it'll be where it belongs. Because people aren't supposed to see the Ark of the Covenant. It is supposed to be in the Holy of Holies, covered. If it's not in the Holy of Holies, it was covered. Every time the 
the tabernacle was moved, the priest went in, they covered all the stuff in the holy place, they covered everything in the holy of holies, then they took down the tent and they tied everything up and they had the, the Kohites carry the big articles and everything else that was torn down went into the carts to be carried by the other Levites by the, the assignments they were given. Nobody was ever, the high priest was the only one that was ever supposed to see the mercy seat. And that was one time a year that he would get to go into the holy place, uh, the holy of holies, to put the blood on the mercy seat. You think about this. All the things they're violating. People are seeing the mercy seat when they're not supposed to. It's been put on an ark. I've been put on a cart. You know, uh, so all these things are being done wrong. It's no wonder that a great judgment fell upon the people. You know, because if we do the right thing the wrong way, wrong occurs. Always. God, you know, I really need this piece of property to build. You know, this church, uh, this church needs to build. We're going to buy this piece of property, and we're going to lie. We're going to tell all kinds of lies to make sure we get a good deal on the property. We're not going to let them know it's for the church, and we're going to buy it through different people the way, the way landowners do. You know, the big tycoons do. They get, they get other people to buy the property so the price doesn't jack, uh, skyrocket. So we're going to do all these things wrong, and we're going to build you a great, great monument to, and church. God says, nope, not my way of doing it. Not my way of doing it, and there won't be a blessing upon that, and something will go wrong somewhere along the path because God says you don't do the right thing the wrong way and expect to be blessed. Never. It does not work. This is just one of the many examples that we see of this. I mean, go back even to the story of Joseph. Joseph has the right thing. He wants to protect his people. The people were supposed to stay in the promised land. That's where God told them to stay, and yet he gets the whole family down there to be protected and fed in Egypt. What ends up happening? They go into captivity. And then they stay in captivity until they become a great nation. I mean, God turned it for good, but Jacob should have told Joseph, you know, Joseph, I know that you're trying to protect us and you're doing good, but God has told us to be here. This is our land. This is what he's promised us. He did not promise us Egypt. We should stay here. But they were looking, food, <laughs> housing, good, good life, we're going to go to Egypt. And it cost them. A good thing done for the wrong, wrong way ended up costing them. And we see this example over and over in the scriptures. We need to be careful with what we're doing because if it's done wrong, the world's, the world's answer is the ends justify the means. As long as I get where I want to go, it doesn't matter how I get there. That is not God's way. A good testimony sets us up with we do things God's way and watch God bless. And, you know, it is amazing things that God will do when we do things his way. You know, you want that land that you thought you had to lie, steal, and cheat? You know, if you said, God, I want this land, he probably would have given it to you or at least given it into such a low price. And there's all kinds of testimonies where people offer a ridiculously low piece of, uh, price for a piece of property because they want to build, build a church for God. And sometimes they're denied the first time, and, and eventually they come back you know, with a lower offer <laughs> and get the property. You know, do things God's way, always. Don't try to justify doing things the wrong way. And, you know, we see this many times, in, even in marriages, where people will, well, you know, God, if, if I just get married to them, I will be able to convert them. Wrong. Don't even try it. Or 
you know, well, God, you know, I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'm going to get rid of this wife and go get another wife because she makes me happy. I enjoy being with her. Wrong. God says it doesn't do it. You know, we need to be very careful. Do things God's way because there's consequences for not doing it. And we want to be very careful. David ends up with fear. Okay, God, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bringing this thing into the, in Jerusalem anymore. I thought it was a good idea to bring your, bring your presence into Jerusalem, but it just cost this guy's life. How many more? And I know David's thinking, I'm king. How many more lives is it going to cost if I bring this into Jerusalem? And so he is, is afraid, and he goes, How shall I bring the ark of the Lord to me? And David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David. And David carried it aside to the house of Obinadom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obinadad, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obinadad and his household. All right? Obinadab's been blessed up until this time when his son, his son is struck dead. The Ark of the Covenant sat in his house. God's presence has been there, and he's been blessed. Obinadab sits in, has the Ark of the Covenant put into somewhere in his household, and he is blessed. And David is going to come back and say, well, okay, I need to find out what needs to be done, and he's going to carry the Ark of the Covenant the right way the next time he brings it into the uh, city of Jerusalem, and that's what we'll see next time. I don't want to get into that. It's fine, because there's not enough time to cover that. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, your care, your, your love for us. We ask you to guide and lead us. Help us to keep following you and making right decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.